So I think that's probably the biggest, the best quality for me in my football leadership is I've had a short career, but I've had a lot of experience in that and ups and downs and left and rights. And I can sort of, sort of relate to a lot of things and help um, through my personal experience to help them get through whatever they're going through. Welcome back to Switched On, a platform for mob like you and me who are looking to learn and grow from life experiences in order to fulfil one's potential, becoming more switched on in the process. Enjoy the episode. All right, all right, all right. We are back in the booth on a Friday. Braden's just got back from his little trip away. And um, yeah, we're here for another Switched On pod. How are you, Braden? Mate, very good. Yeah, like you said, been up in uh, the hot hot north of Carrara and Port Edelman, but um, yeah, it's good to be back here. It's, um, nah, it's going well. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Pretty keen for today's episode as we are joined by Hamish Hammer Brayshaw. Um, previous West Coast Eagle, you probably have heard of him before on the Back Chat podcast, co-host. Is it co-host? Ah, <laughs> perpetual guest, I'd perpetual say. Perpetual guest, <laughs> yeah. nice. Um, but yeah, previous West Coast Eagle with Braden, uh, same draft year, yep. 2017. Yep. 100% win ratio. Correct. We love that. Never been done before. <laughs> well, it probably has, but I hold the record still. Yeah. Equal record. Avid golfer. Yep. Uh, golfer, I thought I'd switch that in. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, sneak in there. That's the one. And um, as just as of recently, the um, Sandover medalist for yes. 2023. Yeah. Congratulations, no, mate. Thank you very, very much. No, it's good to be here. Very tight. Nice little booth. I like the setup. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm standing, which is uh, a different thing for me. <laughs> I'm liking it. Yeah, we like standing in the booth up here. But um, yeah, first question we go around. Um, start of the pods. What did you do to get switched on this morning, mate? What did I do to get switched on this morning? I got up, so I had... Um, I am the midfield coach at the moment for our AFLW team. Uh, we've got work, so I work there full time. Um, I've got my East Perth Best and Fairest tonight, so I've got to fly out of, I've got a midnight flight. Uh, all the girls are leaving at sort of 10 o'clock this morning, and we had like a little captain's run this morning. So I got up uh, and went and had a jump in at the pool, so I got a pool in the backyard. I like to do that most mornings. Um, it is cold. There's an ice bath there as well, but I wasn't feeling that this morning. So yeah. I jumped in the water, got out, and then off to work. Beautiful. Mm. You bubble? Uh, I went for a little little trot this morning. Um, yeah, little little five k, which wasn't too bad. Um, and that's mate, that's pretty much all I did this morning. I got up, did that, Short did the. Up. Yeah, it was good. It was nice. Nice. Yeah, it's good. The weather's. Um, it's getting brighter early. Yeah, mate. It's, it's so nice. good. It's bright early and bright late, <laughs> which is nice. So mm. yeah, that's about it, mate. What about you? Nice. Oh, I just got um, went downstairs, a few weights, got the quick pump on, and then quick brekkie, and showed over here. So nice. Yeah, it's good. Brilliant. Um, I quickly just wanted to add before we get into the pod and that, I think we have a mutual friend okay. um, at East Perth. Sure. Not sure if you might have meant, meant to you by any chance, but uh, Paddy Riley. Oh, piss up. Big yeah. Piss yeah. Piss up. Pisser will be on our, he'll yeah. be on our table tonight. Yeah. yeah. Him, and, uh, him and Shelby will be on our table. So <laughs> he took out the, he was the Resi BNF last year. So, well, uh, he was close. I reckon, like throughout the season, I was living with, he's putting in some good form and he said, oh, could be, could be yeah. a chance here. Could be a sniff. Could be a sniff. <laughs> he's, um, what did he win? He came, was, won the BNF last year in the Resi's. Played a pracky game at the start of the year, then got knocked out. Brock Higgins knocked him out and then couldn't get his way back in. And then played some bloody good twos footy, but was unfortunate enough that we were playing very good league. Yeah. So it was uh, it was a tough one, but he's been knocking the door down for a while now. So I a big season, he should be good to go. I'm hoping next year as well. He's been in the system where all our mates is just like, come on, mate. Come yeah. On. He'll get this. Uh, he'll get there. But um, yeah, I remember him saying in one of the East Perth videos I've, I've been looking on there, he said, you got something in common. Um, oh, yeah, the big dump truck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he likes – yeah, me and Paddy have got two of the bigger asses in the team. So, yeah, a couple of dump trucks rolling around there. Big pisser. Oh, I love it. Shout out the pisser. Mm. Cheers, mate. Um, yeah. Do you want to jump straight into it, Bubba? Yeah. We'll, we'll touch on basically <laughs> run us through – because if if you if people don't know who you are, mate, um, run us through, I guess, who you are, where you've grown up, how you got to Perth and, and all that sort of thing, just yep. about the childhood. Yep. So I uh, I grew up in Melbourne, was born in Adelaide. I'm one of four boys. So my oldest brother, Will, Angus, myself and Andrew, um, the two older boys were born in Perth. Mum and dad were both from here. Uh, dad worked in football uh, throughout our lives. So was uh, worked at Freo here, got a job at Port Adelaide, went over there. Andrew and I were born there, got a job at Richmond, moved to Melbourne and then was working for North Melbourne. So has, we grew up in um, Victoria. Played footy at the Sandy Dragons uh, for, in the TAC Cup. Played a little bit of VFL in um, in uh, for the Sandy Zebras. Um, Angus got picked up in I think 2014 as maybe 2015, 2014 draft. He got draft. He got drafted 2014. So Andrew and I were both at that draft. He was a high pick, so he went three. I think and we were all there watching. That sort of sparked a little bit of 
interest to play football professionally. I always loved playing, but that was sort of the driver for me to have a real crack at getting drafted. Made down to 16, Vic Metro side, made under 18s. Missed my draft year in 2016 uh, and then played VFL. And, and I touch on why though? Yeah. Uh, I broke my foot in the mid- midway through the uh, midway through 2016. Broke my foot and played the back end of the year, not really knowing what was happening, uh, just being sore. So missed that draft. Got drafted the year after. Andrew went two, and I went I think 68 or 69. Pick 68, I went. So we got drafted in the same year, both to Perth, um, which was very lucky. We got family over here, we got friends over here, but the two of us were here. Uh, we got drafted at the same time, so on the same flight over. Uh, and then yeah, I, I have come to Perth a number of times throughout my life. Christmases and stuff, and I reckon it took me five minutes getting off the plane, and I was like, I'm not not going to leave. So Perth's home now, and I've been cool. here for six years. Beautiful. So you fast face yourself as a WA boy now? Yep, 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 I am. I played state footy for WA. I've got I own a house here, so and most of my family's in Perth. So we're um, yep, I'm a WA boy. You've always like loved it here, eh? So. Yep. I, the the weather's so much better. It's a chilled lifestyle. Melbourne's very busy. Like mm. I'm not one for the hustle and bustle of <clears throat> Melbourne life, and so I liked where I grew up in Melbourne, but going back now, it's it's all just too busy. So I'm a big, yeah, big Perth fan. Yeah. And you got your brother over here as well, which is nice. Yeah, so I got yeah. two of my brothers. My oldest brother, Will, oh, right. lives here as well, and then Andrew, and then my grandparents live down in Albany. I've got cousins that live oh, here. So And then all of their family, mum and dad's family friends growing up, basically like our family. So my godfather's here, Andrew's godfather's here. So we've got a lot of, and so is my godmother and his godmother. So we've got a lot of family connections here, so it's it's been easy. And now being here for six years and playing footy, it's i got more mates here than I do back in Melbourne now, yeah. so it's it's good. And Will's in the army, hey? Yeah, so Will's yeah. in the army. Um, so he moved here... Three or four years ago, he's recently engaged to a girl at, um, who lives in Perth, so he's going to be settled down, and his life will be here as well. So, for the most part, it'll be um, until Andrew finishes football and decides what he wants to do. It'll be three brochures here for the next ten, I think. Right. Yeah. Do you know where he's based? Well, uh, well, yeah. Yeah, he's based out of Karakata, so yeah. he he's been working there. Infantry. Yeah. He's yeah. In the okay. army. Yeah. I wonder if he's eleven twenty eight because I wouldn't haven't been in this year, but last year I was yeah a bit more involved. Nice. Um, yeah, hopefully going back in the next couple. Of I actually have no. I, I don't really know the ins and outs of what he does, but um, yeah, he's he's been here for a few years now, so it's good. Oh. All the boys are in. How do you do? You find time to all catch up? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, it's tough when Andrew's in season because he flies every other week. But I lived, so I lived with Will for a year. Uh, I lived with Andrew for four or five months. So I've lived enough with both of them, but they're both based in Freo. So we probably go once every fortnight, once a week to go and have dinner. Um, but yeah, we we find we find time, and then we play golf. So. There's all we yeah, we're catching up more often than not. Yeah, love it. So that's basically a little bit of a background, and I want to start, I guess, with the footy. So that sparked when Angus got drafted. But yeah, there pr- pretty much then. Yeah, but before that, were you playing different sports? A little bit. I, I played cricket growing up, I, as everyone does. I did swimming, basketball, cricket, all the rest of it. Never really liked much else besides footy and cricket. Was played cricket to muck around and have fun, and played footy because I loved it, and then pretty quickly realized that I could be a reasonably good footballer. I, As a lot of guys that get drafted are, you're um, winning best and fairest as a junior and making rep teams and state teams and stuff like that. And, and that was probably a little bit for me not – I didn't really take that seriously enough um, and just enjoyed it. Uh, and then when Angus got drafted, I was like, oh, I'm actually – he had a pretty similar trajectory to me uh, as in like made the interleague teams, made the state side and – then it was the year after I made the Vic Metro under 16s team and I was like, oh, actually, I think I could make a crack of this and then put a little bit of work into playing football as opposed to just mucking around and taking it, a bit of, uh, taking it for fun. So cricket then dropped off and I was, yeah, after about six, under 16s, I was pretty much football was my go. What about outside football? Because I want to touch, there's so many <laughs> things that you've done and like when you walked into the footy club, you could juggle, you could do magic, you could yeah. do all this <laughs> stuff. So. Mate, I, not many people know all that about you and it fascinated the hell out of me. But I just want to know, like, where did all that stuff come from? What have you tried, like, and why? I've like, tried, yeah, I tried a few things. So when I was, oh, the jugglings came from, so I was about, I, st- I started playing cricket in under 12 and that was Saturday. And I was never, Andrew and Angus did little athletics and Will was a bit older, so he was doing his own stuff. But I hated little athletics. I was a shit runner and I couldn't do anything. Hello, swear on here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I was a poor runner. And then <laughs> I was discus and shot put and that was it. And then all of a sudden, like, it got to a point where I couldn't play cricket anymore and little athletics became a bit more of a thing. I was like, mum, I don't really want to do this, but I've got too much energy on a weekend to just kill. And so mum did a big Saturday shop at the Port Melbourne markets, or the Queen Victoria markets, which was in Port Melbourne. 
and she'd go there for four hours and do a massive weekly shop for everyone. And right around the corner was Circus Oz Circus School. And so I went there for, there was like a holiday camp, went there for a week of holiday camp and loved it. So I was like, mum, this is like, I'm loving this. So let me go back. So every Saturday I went back and did four hours of circus training essentially while mum went and did shopping. So I learned how to juggle, learned how to ride a unicycle, do the trapeze, do the tightrope, all that sort of stuff. And so that was my outlet for two or th- probably two years on the Saturdays. Every Saturday until I could play cricket, I was just burning energy doing circus stuff. And so learnt, I became very flexible, learned all the dexterity in hands and all that sort of stuff. And then that sort of, I stopped doing that, but you know, was, I've always been good on a trampoline, can always do backflips and all the rest of it. A few party tricks. A few party tricks. <laughs> and then, yeah, that's probably how I got that side of it. And then the rest of the stuff, like magic tricks and whatever, I was bored in school and I was always pretty smart. And so I'd procrastinate, 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 and then have to start doing something. And in that procrastination time, like I was YouTubing how to do card tricks and loved how to shuffle and, you know, do all these things with that. So little bits and pieces like that I've picked up along the way. Hmm. You, should, you should see on the planes, mate, when we were like traveling to a game or whatever, how much is there? Everyone like, there's like... Like everyone's just like 15 blokes just wrapped around this table and he's just doing these magic tricks. It was insane. <laughs> very good fun. But you touch on school, mate, because you are very, very intelligent. Yeah, so I, this, we all went to the same high school, Halebury. Will was the trailblazer. He loved his school, loved his social life and did well enough in his school. And then Angus took it a bit more seriously because he was trying to get drafted. So Angus was no drinking, nothing until he was 18 and was really focused on doing well at school and then playing football. Um and he was 18 in his draft. So he was 18 in his final year of school. So his year 12 was his draft year. And I was a bit different. Actually, it might have been. Anyway, regardless, he was trying his best at school because he knew he wanted to get drafted. And he got, I think, a 95 ATAR or something. So he set the benchmark. And anyway, I made a bet with him that I'd beat him. And he was confident I wouldn't. And I studied the whole. I was pretty diligent at school studying because I was I was reasonably smart. The procrastination sort of was there, but I knew that I had this, I wanted to just beat him. And I was pretty good at my subjects. I did physics, maths, Japanese, English in year 12. And then I did psychology and sociology in year 11. So I knocked them, those two off. And then in year 12, I only had four to focus on. Was doing reasonably well. Realized Japanese was probably not going to be my big one. So I parked that a little bit, focused on the other ones. And then did pretty well. So I ended up getting a 97 and beating him. I remember the morning off, I got the text at like 6.30. He was asleep in the room next to me. I got up and saw the text. It comes through 97 and I basically yelled it to mum and dad in the other room so that he could purposely hear me. And then I went off and did my own thing and had the day off. And so he was, uh, he was in bed and texted me later on and um, that. yeah, caught that. So studied um, a little bit afterwards, did a physics degree at uni and got halfway through that and then got drafted. And then it just became pretty tough to do part-time, part-time, part-time. So that's been parked for now. I've got a mortgage and I'm full-time job. So that's been the extent to my studying at the moment. But paying off um, the hex. Yeah, paying <laughs> off the hex debt. <laughs> <laughs> Do you reckon you'll get back into it? Don't know. Not at the, not right now. I've got life to focus on and it's like it's, it's tough to juggle football. Like playing waffle footy, as you know, it's like it's pretty much the same commitment as an AFL player minus two or three meetings a week that you, they just throw in there because you're full-time. Mm. So like you've still got to fit in your gym, your training, everything in three hour, three nights a week, sort of two and a half hours a piece. So it's nearly hard. I, I think, well, it is, but it's not. It's nearly harder. Like there's, in terms of you got to go to work all day and then you got to go to training and then you got to find time for gym meetings, all that stuff where, you know, when it's your job, it's just like. Yeah. When it's, when it's your job, you sort of, you can, you come in and you've got all the luxury, like you've got a day off if you need to do something extra. Whereas, and like, if you're feeling sore, you can speak to the physios and you sort of, you can, whereas like. You wake up in the morning, you're feeling stiff and sore. You still got to go to work. It gets to mm. five. And like my job's easy. I've got bloke, like you got tradies and stuff and guys that have been crawling around roofs all day and they still have to come and train. So yeah. doing waffle football and then having a full-time job, it's it, it's tough. So in terms of finding extra time to study, I just, at the moment, it's, it's parked. It'll it, Potentially, if I need to come back to it, I will. But for now, I'm just sort of just ticking along. Do you feel that with the studying side of things, like you kind of just went into it because, yeah, you were smart. You had that backing. And then it was kind of like something that you should have done, like it was the norm. Yeah, a little bit. I, I didn't really have any idea about what I wanted to do. So I, because yeah, you're young at the time, yeah, like you don't. I was, know. I was nineteen. I was eighteen when I fi- or seventeen when I finished school. Went straight into uni. I it was either or get a job, which I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just was still trying to play football. Uh, take a gap year, which I wouldn't have done because I was trying to play football, and you can only do that here, um, or just go and study. And so speaking to a few people, it was like, if you don't know what you want to study, go and study things you like. And I did love maths and physics at school, so I went and did that. And my first year, you know, I loved it. I was full-time uni and doing part-time work, and 
and then still trying to play football. So that was really, really fun. It was when I then got picked up and it became a bit more part-time and the subjects that I was doing were pretty hard and trying to do maths here and then physics and forgetting all the maths because I'm not doing it at the same time, that became a bit of a struggle. So the initial period of getting out of school and going straight to uni, I loved. And if I hadn't have got picked up, I would have finished my degree and I would have been laughing. But yeah, the um, straight out of school aspect was like, I don't really have anything else to do and I'm not going to do not going to travel and not do anything because I want to play football and that's only here. So that was probably part of the reason why I went straight into it. Yeah. And even through the football phase, you're able to still do a bit of travel and stuff with that, weren't you? Yeah. So like we went to, we went to Cambodia. That was great fun. There was opportunities that came from football to go and do other things, which were really good. And it it let me sort of see a bit more. And I went to America a couple of times to do some running camps. So I've had a bit of travel experience off the back of football, but, and and they still give you time to study. So like it was, if I had have been doing something different, I probably would have continued, but it was just the, the, the difficult nature of what I was doing, trying to do that part-time for me was just a bit too much. So yeah. I do want to touch on that um, Cambodia trip, actually. I heard along the grapevine, there was a little little game oh, going one on. One of the great trips. <laughs> Best trip. <laughs> and um, yeah, apparently Braden was heavily, heavily involved. So I, yeah, we got, I can't even remember when we decided to come up with this, but. It was keep- on the, we were on a bus. We were on a bus. We started with like 20 Nah, we, no, so we were on, we got to Cambodia and I think, so Keegan Brooksby at the time was dating or now he's engaged and going to be married to Abby Holmes, who was on Survivor. Keegan right. was on our list and we'd, we'd all watch Survivor that year and it was a bit of like, oh, we're here for three or four days. Let's make a little bit of something because we've got these two hour commutes to when we need to go to these villages and help out. Um, and oh, for anyone who doesn't know, the Cambodia trip was what the West Coast Eagles did. And we went to this village two hours out of Phnom Penh and built houses for them and huts because so when the floods come in, their house didn't get um, taken away. So there was about 10 of us that went on this trip and we went there and it was, it was awesome fun. But between the commutes, we thought, well, let's kill some time. So we're going to build make this survivor game. And the first night we did it, it was like we walked around, the, we walked the killing fields. We did like a little tour of this thing. And the whole time, it was really funny because we were trying to be very respectful of what we were doing because there was some somber stuff that we were looking at. And at the same time, like blokes are taking each other off to the side, <laughs> trying to build alliances. <laughs> like, oh, what do you think about this? Let's blindside him. Let's do this, this, this. And it was so funny. So the first day everyone was in and like me and Fraser McInnes were talking about it and we thought we'd orchestrated everything and it was great. Get to the nine. <laughs> and we did this thing. We went into the bathroom and recorded yourself. <laughs> anyway, like, and then you wrote down the names and Paul Morrison, who was the chaplain over there helping us out, he read the votes and- the first vote, Oscar Allen, that was who I voted for. The second vote, me. And I was like, yeah, okay, no worries. The third vote, Oscar Allen, that's who Fraze voted for. And then it just went hamish, 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 hammer, 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 bang. See you later. Oh, watching, no. the, watching the footage back, it was so funny because everyone's been like, oh, you've been blindsided, all the rest of it, hilarious. Anyway, it was actually probably a blessing in disguise because then I was able to come up with the games because I was already out of it. So like we had uh, guess the, 20 questions, guess the person in the in the bus and the winner gets exemptions. We had like I've, I'd hidden immunity idols around the hotel. <laughs> I'd done all this stuff and it was so like we had an immu- we had a, a welcome back challenge. So at the halfway point, everyone who was out came back and that was like a, a quiz, a push-up challenge, all the rest of it to get back in the con. <laughs> it was so much fun. And then every night we had evictions. And um, it got to the end and it was three left and Bubba was one of them. Bubba, Oscar, and can't even remember who else. Rothy? Uh, Rothy maybe, yeah. And we had this one. And so it was at the airport on the way home at the lounge before we flew out of Singapore. As they do in Survive, you have to talk to the tribal council and sort of get pitch. It's like you talk to the jury and pitch why you think you should win. <laughs> anyway, Bubba comes in and I've I've been filming all their like one-off takes to the camera. And so no one knew but Bubba was pulling a lot of the strings behind and off camera and he was like, he was <laughs> silently going about his work and orchestrating a lot of things and ev- let everyone think that they were driving the show, but really he was manipulating all the puzzle pieces. <laughs> and like he- everyone came out and Oscar came out and said, I've been running it from the start. Rothy said the same thing. <laughs> Bubba came out and said, look, everyone thinks they've been doing this, but this is what I've done. I've done this, 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 and this. And everyone's just sort of sitting there like, and Bubba was a unanimous winner and it was so funny. And then <laughs> oh, I, put, I put this video together at the end of it. I don't think I still have it, but it was so funny. Oh, and I it love was like. It. All the boys, like Rothy, we'd done one big thing and Rothy was like, yep, this was my idea, this was my idea, blah, blah, blah. And then the one was of Bubba the day before saying, oh, I'm going to tee Rothy up to do this. And oh, it was so funny. So Bubba was a unanimous winner, but it passed the time when we had these two-hour commutes, but it just made the best trip all, all the better. It was so much fun. It was the best trip. It was so fun. Yeah, what was your recollection of that? Did you like, do you remember like what you were planning to do at the time, Bubba? Oh, it was just, mate, I was just the innocent guy, mate. So I was just like, they're like, yeah, do this. yeah. And everyone was like, I just was like, oh, yeah, I'll do that for you. Yeah, that's easy. We'll do this. I was just playing, playing around. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just so fun, mate. And I, because I really like Survivor. 
And I'm, I've seen the the big the big notes sometimes the ones that are like yeah I'll do this this is and it became a little bit of Oscar sort of started to do that a little bit and I was like okay I'll just let him run his show and then behind the scenes but no nah, it was it was so much fun and it did make the time like I remember we did this quiz on this bus ride I reckon the bus ride felt like it went for five minutes because we we're all just like we got to ask the right questions we got to do this yeah. and it was we, so fun we were driving along this dirt patch and through this sort of field and the car in front of us got bogged and so like we had our bus driver get out and have to try and help get them out of that and it would have taken two and a half hours but we were doing this thing the whole way through and it was just like all of a sudden we're home it was so much fun it was a really really good trip and even outside that like some of the things we what do we do we've we had um you know found towers we've like we, mate, we had so much fun on that it was like four days but it was so many things we crammed into it. we had to do a training session Doing the building the houses, seeing that, like overall, like what we crammed in in four days, but the experience you get from that as well was, yeah, it was it was as good, probably the best trip up there with the best things I've ever done in my life. We had, I think it was a four day trip. Mm. We went and saw an orphanage. We went and saw we went and saw two of them. We went and saw uh, this like Cambodian eagles where a group of expats made this footy team and invited a bunch of the local guys down. So that they were playing footy, we went and helped them. We had a big barbecue with them that night, and then going out, we went out a couple of days to this place and. The kids there, like, a sitting under their wooden timber floors so that it's, they're not getting too hot. And, like, they're all so stunned to see these European guys or Western people come and help them build a house. And they're so grateful for it. And, like, they're trying to give you things. And it's like, just relax, just relax, have fun. And then we went to the killing fields. Like, there's the whole history of Cambodia is is pretty remarkable. So seeing all that sort of stuff and the, the prison, uh, like, the, all the torture stuff that they used to do here. Like, it was just incredible. It was really, really hard to look at a lot of this in here. But... The perspective that we got from that, or that mm. I got from that, was yeah, remarkable. As good as, as good as anything I've ever done. Yeah. Easily. Yeah, just that factor of like giving back. Hey, oh, it was that opportunity to do that. Yeah, it's yeah. like you don't really think about how hard life is for other people, and then when you go to this place, like I remember thinking on the way out and listening to a few things that Morrow and that were saying, who have been there before, like these. So basically, what we were doing was putting. Like Queensland style houses, putting on stilts a house essentially, but yeah. it was more like a hut, a little cottage, but this would sleep eight people and they would be so happy that it was done. But the reason being is that once a year when the wet season comes, it floods a lot of their things. So all their belongings are gone, their food is gone. And what ends up happening is parents have got to sell their kids essentially to make money. To So like you've got six kids, you can't feed them all, you have to sell one. And so like people are having to sell their children to survive. Wow. And so the fact that we were able to do this, not not directly saving kids essentially, but it's like we'd, we, you're, you're helping families not have to do that. And then when we went to this, we'd go to the orphanages and you'd see this amazing people who have helped save kids that have been, you know, on the street and doing all this sort of stuff. It's like we've we've taken orphans that have been sold into all this slavery stuff, and it's it's not not a very good world the under the underworld of Cambodia. But the side of it we saw was yeah, it, it gives you perspective and it really makes you grateful for what what we've got here but it puts yeah it puts a pretty interesting spin on life yeah definitely definitely like the orphanage was like insane like we had they did a talent show while we were there so we had to get up and we did like a big dance with the 10 of us that were there but like it just sort of put that into perspective there was like people like singing writing poems all this sort of thing and you know even just listening to that it's like imagine if these guys got an opportunity because they could they could sing they could write poems and like it's just it's a whole different world over there that they're never going to really discover which sucks a bit but mm. yeah it was pretty the happiness that they, the happiness they got from such little things was that mm. was that, that was probably what gave you the biggest kick there like we had this massive lunch and at the orphanage there was probably 200 kids and we were on a table of 10 and they made this fried chicken for us they were all eating scraps off the back but like we're so happy that we were here eating they all prepared this stuff for us and they were happy to just eat rice and we were having they just put it all on for us and it was like amazing that yeah the work that they did to make us feel good when they were just struggling it was yeah it was, it was pretty cool yeah cool Love that. Um, I do want to sort of jump back on the train. It's where we were like sort of leading before, before yep. the trip and that. Um, kind of like, oh, well, I guess that kind of touches on it really. Like that, that was, would have been a challenge, like seeing that, going through it. I want to, I was just want to ask you like any other times in your life that we've like been really challenged. Obviously, there's been a lot of them like with your ups and downs, the AFL coming down and all that. But um, I was wondering if you could share like a, a big challenge in your life and how you've been able to overcome that. Yeah, I reckon that, well, the first one for me was missing the draft. So I was, I, I got drafted as a mature age player. So I missed my draft in my 18th year. I had, I would play, had a re really good preseason, was playing well, hurt my foot a little bit, kept going. And then at the halfway point of the year was the first game of the Vic Metro or under 18s carnival. 
against WA and halfway through the second quarter, I felt something happen in my foot. I was like, oh, that's pretty sore. Played the rest of the game, didn't, didn't play very well. Got off the ground and could hardly walk. The adrenaline died off and I was like, I, my foot was blown up and I could hardly touch it. Went and had an x-ray on it, nothing. Went and saw physios, a bit not sure what was going on and <clears throat> ended up just walking it off and having two weeks of not doing anything and then going back to playing. And halfway through a game, it would just start killing me and then it would settle down and I was really not sure what was going on. It was on and off hurting. And anyway, I got to the end of the year and had been pretty impaired and couldn't really run properly. So I went and had a CT scan. It turns out my navicular bone was snapped, but it was snapped vertically. So it was like, that's how it sits. And with the rest of your foot, it sits into place perfectly. But then every now and again, it will go like that and sort of jar. So that's why it was hurting. And so when it would sit like that, I'd be fine. And so that was on and off. And anyway, I had to get that repaired. And I pro- I thought that I was still a chance to get drafted. I had a lot of clubs talking to me and <clears throat> there was obviously a little bit of interest. I was Angus's brother and I'd played some good football and what could I potentially do? And then when I missed out that night, I was sitting there and I had Angus Andrew, no, sorry, I had Angus and Andrew there, mum and dad, Clayton Oliver was living with us at the time. So he was there and my girlfriend at the time was sitting in the room with me as well. And I had probably Adelaide was the most interested and got to their 50 something pick and they took Miles Paholke instead of me. And he was basically the same sort of player, something big midfielder. Um, and I remember being like, that's probably me done. And missing the draft. And that was back in the day where the rookie draft was two days later. So I was sort of sitting there pretty upset. And then my manager said, we've had some interest in the rookie draft, watched the rookie draft, didn't get picked up. And that was pretty tough. So I sort of sit there and I'm like, well, that's my whole year dedicated to this. Now I've got to decide, I've got to keep going to uni. I've got to do other things. And like, how, what am I going to do? Anyway, dad, I remember having a chat to me. So that was, pro- that was pretty tough. And then two days later, dad came into my room and I'd, he'd given me enough time to sort of sulk and be in my own thoughts. And he goes, mate, you've got a decision to make whether you keep going or not. Um, you know, plenty of people have enjoyed life outside of football, so it's not the be all and end all. But if you don't want to do that, you've got a, you've got a great brain. You can study. You can do whatever you want, or you can keep doing that, but really give footy another crack. And being drafted as a nineteen year old isn't you know unheard of. Plenty of people have done it, but yeah, going to have to dedicate yourself. So that was probably the turning point for that. Like I was in my own head for four days of pretty upset, and then Dad came along and said, "You've got pretty much." It didn't give me an ultimatum, but gave it to me in a nice and roundabout way to be like, you can, no one care. We're not going to care if you don't play football, but if you do, this is basically what you need to do. So I got on the phone to Angus's boxing coach at Melbourne, went and did boxing twice a week with him, did all this other training and ended up getting drafted that year. So that, but that was the turning point. I was in my room, really upset. And dad basically put two options to me, but it was from the lens of, we don't care if you don't play football. So you don't have to do it. That's not going to make you who you are play football or not, but if you do want to, this is, this is how you do it. So that was probably the first big challenge that I really needed to jump in my football career. Yeah. And it really sounds like you just did everything that you could to overcome that hate. Mm, yeah. It so. was it was a lot of hard work, but it was yeah, definitely worth it. How big was it hearing that you don't have to play football if you don't want to, and it's not the be all and end all? So if you come from your dad who, like obviously, if people don't know, your uncle's also in football and yep. your dad's in football and your brothers and you know how, how it, did that impact you? Yeah, that was like that was probably the thing that gave me a little bit of a pickup because I'd wanted to get drafted. Angus had done it. Andrew was going to the next year. So there was a lot of me that was like, this is me. Like, this is what I've got to do. And when it didn't work and I was like, oh, that's my life done. Um, I knew I had things going on for me outside football, but I was so heavily invested in my own head about that. And then when he came along and said, it doesn't really matter. It's like, okay, well, I've got now it's now it's a choice, not something that I have to do. And the choice was pretty clear because I love football, but to hear that it was not, that was not, that, that was not the be all and end all because my older brother doesn't play football and that's fine. He's doing his other thing. And, but to hear that it was like, Hey, you, this is your choice and we're going to back you in either way. That was the big one. That was a really big thing for me to be like, okay, now it's my own life. I can do what I want, but still football is what I want to do. And so I'll have the support regardless, but it was, yeah, it was good knowing that I could do go either way. Yeah. Then you get drafted, yep. you make your way over. Mm-hmm. What was your first impressions when you got into the club? Oh, I loved it. Like getting, I'd heard about AFL football. I knew some guys that, Dan Venables I knew that was on the list. And like I knew coming over, not having been necessarily ingrained in Perth, but having come here a few times and know what the landscape is like, getting drafted to basically the biggest club in the country was such a big thing. And coming off a prelim where they, or what did they make a semifinal the year before and a couple of years before that, we're in the grand final. They're a successful club and coming into that environment, I was I was pretty excited and getting there and uh, Adam Simpson, who was a massive North Melbourne fan growing up. So I was he was the coach. I was a massive rap for that. And I knew coming over, Drew Petrie was still there or thereabouts. And there were guys there that I was, you know, I'd looked up to playing football and, and idolized them growing up. So that was cool coming in. 
But then just seeing the environment and the whole elite nature of AFL, it was it, it took me back a little bit, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is really cool." And probably took me a little bit to settle down and get used to it. But yeah, it was. Um, I was excited and, and loved it as soon as I moved over. What do you remember about the first year? You mean much? Um, I remember like it, it was tough and long, but sort of we like because we had such a good crew of us that got right. There was ten of us that got picked up in the one year, and Brendan Archie was a trade. So nine first years in the same year. We all became pretty close and like playing waffle footy at the time, it was, we were still aligned with East Perth and we sort of used to joke about it. We'd have to, on a Monday, we'd get in at 8.30, do our review, spend three hours doing that. Then the AFL boys would come in, we'd do their review, we'd walk jog for the second time because we'd done it in the morning, we'd finish that and then we'd have to go to Subiac, go across to Leaderville from Subi and do the East Perth review. So we'd be like eight to six and we're like, oh, well, like the boys are in from midday to two o'clock and they've gone home on their day off and here we are sort of slogging it away and that became a bit of a routine and it was a bit of fun. And then at the same time though, we were like watching what was happening in the AFL. Like, I mean, I didn't play anything in my first year. You played a couple in your first year. So there were guys in and out and Oscar had played a bit and Jared was sort of there or thereabouts and Liam obviously playing, but watching that from a waffle point of view, being involved in the environment, but just to watch what was happening was, was really, really cool. And by the time we were out at East Perth and just watching the grand, the final series, like that was, that was fun. Cause you'd removed, I'd anyway, I'd removed myself from the chance of playing and I was like, I'm just sitting back and watching this. And it was as a spectator being that close, it was, um, yeah, that was really, really cool. Yeah, the first year was pretty crazy. Like when we like to win the flag, like that was Insane, but yeah, like this, that first impressions of getting in, you hear all these, you hear all these things like they're not going to talk to you and, and all this. And I remember the first day, they just straight away embraced us and got us to share nicknames and do this, do that. Because we were training at Lathlane. Yeah. yeah. Went out and trained at Lathlane for pre-season then back in, yeah. in season at Subi. But like, even when we got drafted, like the guys were saying, okay, you've got, obviously Nick Natanui is such a big name. Don't, you know, don't just pester him. And in the first week, he invited like four or five of us out to lunch and paid for it. And I was like, oh, well, oh, I mean, he's not, he's, he's not a big scary guy. So there was a lot of it that was like, as soon as you got drafted, you hear it all the time. No one cares how old you are. No one cares what number you get drafted. But like, it's pretty true within the playing group. You get there and it's like, you're just a teammate pretty quickly. And they all want to get to know you as best you can. And <clears throat> if you come in and your mindset is to just to work hard and you know, put your head down, bum up, you um you get pretty accepted pretty quickly. What would be... um. You- I guess some tips like for younger crew that like say you're 15, 16, 7 year olds at the moment that are like ha- looking to have a sniff, like think they're playing good football, they want to get drafted. What would, you, what would you give some tips to them to say like actually like in the lead up to working hard and getting drafted and actually like entering an AFL club? Oh, I think the biggest thing for me growing up was like you get as a really good player who's a chance to get drafted. A lot of the time you're just the best player and you pull the whole way through and it's really hard to get a good idea of your deficiencies and what you need to actually work on. And because if you're asking your junior coaches, it's like, mate, you're our best player. Like you're good, but you, it's, it's a really hard one to actually reflect and be like, this is what I need to work on in my 18th year. And I probably got the luxury of that because I missed my draft and was able to talk to a few recruiters and people about what I actually needed to do. And for me, it was like, we needed you see to, we needed to see you play more consistently, defensive running and, you know, ability to get back and forward of the ground. And so I had some pretty good insight as to what I needed to work on. But I think for me, if I had have asked myself that at 16 or 17, that would have been the same question that I would have liked to ask. Go and ask someone who is a bit removed from your, you know, your direct football and ask what you need to work on. Because a lot of people are, people want to help. People want to see you succeed. And if you can go and ask the right people what you need to work on and, and really put, you know, put a bit of time into that. But at the same time, don't just dive all in on football. As a 17, 18 year old, there's so much more to life than just training. And you can still get to a successful point, putting a lot of work into football, but having time for other things. So uh, but yeah, my my tip to kids trying to get drafted would be ask someone external of your circle what you you know what you really need to work on because everyone knows your strengths, mm. you know your strengths, but it's hard to internally look at what you, what you need to work on. So I think get some get that advice from someone external to you, and then still enjoy both sides of your life. That's a really good metaphor for like I guess well a lot of that aspects yeah. of life really because you do get caught up in your own bubble kind of thing and like and yeah like I'm not sure if it's an ego boost your head might get a bit big but you just need to someone to like keep you grounded and just like point you another direction sometimes yeah no matter what you're doing but uh, especially in football I think because as a and as a young player who's aspiring to get drafted because you're very often the best player and you uh, you mean you've seen a million of them growing up of kids that are hit puberty at 10 and they're dominating from 13 <laughs> that was 14 and, and then everyone's like you're the best player you're gonna get drafted you're gonna do this and that and it's like no one takes a time to be like hey you're a very good player here but this is where you need to get better and i think with that little bit of help a lot of players would be a lot better off 
Yeah. Mm, I like that. Same. It's my point would be a bit different because I'm from the country, but when you're touching on that, is finding someone is what that's what I that's what happened to me. Like I was lucky. I didn't find it. He found me. He came came home and he um Kingsley Hutchinson and he used to play for South Korea and he started to umpire because all he wanted to do was just give back to footy. Yep. So he just started umpiring back home and um, he goes, mate. I think you, you know, if you have a crack, you might be able to go to Perth and play some footy up there. And I was like, all right. And then literally it's just like, we'll come down, we'll um, go for a run. And then like, we just started catching up every Sunday and then it just went on from there. And it's probably the best thing because it's the same thing you get like in the country, there's only four, te- four teams down there and everyone's just like, oh, you know, you're playing really good. You're good at this. You're good at footy. And then you're like, oh, money in the country. Like if I went to, because oh, I came to Perth and played a couple of games and, couldn't get near it and I'm like yeah money okay down the country I can't play waffle and then he literally was just like well we need to work on this we work on that and then it literally helped heaps because everyone else is like oh you're good at this you're good at that but they never tell you what you're not good at so I reckon it's great advice and I think from looking at it from someone who's in your bubble it's like you can hear the feedback from them and be like, oh, they're, I don't know, they're, they're, they're looking at it from this way. Whereas if you get someone completely external, like they've got no reason to lie to you. They've got no reason to do anything other than just give you the honest f- feedback. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like I've, my youngest, my young cousin, Fred, is uh, James's l- fourth son. He's a reasonably good footballer and he's in the talent pools. He's in the Sandy Dragons and all that sort of stuff. And Angus and I had a chat with him and I think listening to it from our point of view, like I've got nothing to do with him. I've, I've not seen him play and I'm just sort of, giving him some advice on training and what to do and this, that, and the other. And I think that sort of stuff, having feedback from someone who's got no reason to give you anything other than honest truth is um, is really important. So mm. that'd be good feedback. Feedback I always got was grow a couple inches and get faster. <laughs> <if you're right." laughs> I'm like, fuck, yeah. I'm my best, mate. <laughs> mm. So three years in the system. Yep. I want to what's the best bits, bad bits, ugly bits? What do you find? Well, what was the, what was your highlight of the whole? Uh, the highlight for me was definitely playing. Um, yeah, touch yeah. on touch on that. Yeah, so it was actually like it sort of coincided with a bit of up and down at the same time. Like start of the year, I thought so. I I was on a draft contract, which was two years. Halfway through my second year, I was like, I don't. I hadn't had, all the other boys, all the other draftees in my year had been re-signed, and I was the only one that hadn't. And I was like, oh, this is. I think I'm playing good waffle footy, and it's tough. And so then I played a really good back end of the waffle year in 2019, and got a rookie contract on the back of that and actually got given my contract when I was in Cambodia. So I said to them in my exit interview, like, I don't care if so whatever happens, contract or no contract, can I still go to Cambodia? And they're like, yep, we'd love you to. <laughs> Went there, had a scratchy WhatsApp phone call from my manager being like, they're going to give you a rookie contract, sweet, no worries. But it was, that was funny. So at the time it was like, because it was scratchy, they said, you're getting delisted, but you're going to be a rookie. They're going to give you a rookie deal. And so I just heard like the delisted and I was like, rookie. And I was like, what, what is going on? So <laughs> sorted that out, got a rookie contract. Thought I had a really good preseason in 2020, was ready. I knew that I'd have to come through the waffle because we had a very established side and then COVID hit and I was like, oh, that's a that's a bummer. Like that's my opportunity to really push for selection sort of a bit gone and doing the scrimmages and all that sort of stuff was fine, but not you're not getting match-like and it really came down to what the previous form was and who they thought was in the right spot for selection and, and probably the low for me came, it was a low and a high at the same time because I sort of was able to reflect on it, but I had a call from Simo on a Tuesday. It was, I think, me and Xavier O'Neill were the only two mids that were left to play. And I thought I'd been scrimmaging pretty well. And Redo went down and said, mate, get ready. You might be playing this week. And anyway, Simo called me on a Tuesday and said, mate, we've gone with Xavier O'Neill. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, anyway, so he did the right thing and let me know about it. And from there, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure from here on out, like that's my that's me done. I'm not going to get another contract. Um, so the initial low point of like missing a game and then being realizing that, that was my probably career done at the at the Eagles I was like okay sweet no worries and then just took the rest of it because then we went back to the hub and I was like I'm just going to enjoy what I've got left of footy got rewarded with the game because everyone got injured and I was just the last man standing so I got to go and play but then the fact that we were able to win that played with all the boys from our draft year like that was a really really special moment and I think reflecting back on it like I'm glad that I didn't just turn the toes up and be like oh I'm done anyway so bugger like I could not I could have easily not gone back to the second hub and just be like I'm I'm done and they would have been fine with it but I think for me, looking back and being like, I actually stuck it out and enjoyed, took the time to enjoy what I had left of the system and really embraced that. And I think for a lot of guys that <clears throat> in my position don't last very long, you look back and you think you just enjoyed what you, you enjoyed the time you got. And I really probably had an extra three months that I wouldn't have had if I had to just turn my toes up. So that was probably the up, the up and the down in one. I don't know. You probably you will remember when I touch on it, but that second hub, you put a lot of work into other people to get them better. Mm-hmm. And a big one was Jared Cameron. 
Um, and he was playing. He played the back end of that year, didn't yep. he? Yeah, and he played pretty well. And mm, yeah, I remember that. Hammer was, I think, I don't know if that was a mind shift change that you were like, you know what, like I'm just going to try and help others. But you were like doing touch with X, you were doing cardio sessions with Camo, you were doing, making sure he was doing this, doing his weights properly, doing everything. Like you put a lot of time into other people, I feel. Yeah, I think for me at that time, I was like, I'm, I'm, I knew I was done. But at the same time, I like, I had come to the point where I was thinking that if an opportunity comes, I still sort of, I still want to be ready for it, but knowing that it might not happen. So I was just enjoying that and seeing guys that like Camo and X do reasonably well. I was like, I'm, that's going to be, that's giving me enough at the moment and I'm still enjoying myself. Um, <clears throat> but if an opportunity comes, I want to be ready. So doing the extra cardio sessions with Camo was only benefiting me. Doing extra touch with X and guys like that were only benefiting me. So I did a little bit of that because I enjoyed helping others and enjoyed sort of leading younger people, younger people and I'm captaining of East Perth now. And that's mm. something that I enjoy doing is, is leading um, and helping show guys the way. But at the same time, it, it sort of gave me a little benefit and there was nothing else to do at the hub. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a shift as in terms of focusing more on others than me. But at the same time, I was still getting a little bit of a benefit myself. Yeah. There's that, that'd be, it's definitely one of my highlights as well as playing that game. Like to have all the boys that got drafted together to play together, like with a big photo after celebration, it was, um, yeah, it was incredible. It was against uh, St. Kilda, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Against Saints. And I think Tim Kelly and Nick Natanui oh, dominated. Man. Josh Kennedy was like, there was no one else playing really. There was like five or six of our starting 22 that were in the team and everyone else had been injured. So it was a real, and we had no one else to select from. So yes, I'm bottom of the barrel, and but I still played AFL footy. But at the same time, it was like everyone was so up and about for that game because it was like, we got nothing to lose. Let's throw the kitchen sink at them and whatever happens. And then we were down at halftime and I remember TK would have had 25 and kicked a goal or something in the second half and just dominated, but brought us back and the sort of excitement that everyone had from the club, because no one expected us to win the game. We were all out and out and out and the sort of come from behind underdog mentality win that game had <clears throat> was just so special and everyone was in the rooms afterwards celebrating, but no one expected us to win because we were so down and out. And then to come back and still get it done was, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Epic. Yeah, good moment. So do you think, um, I mean, in that time, obviously having win the send over this year, captain in the club, is there kind of like that metaphor you like you knocking on the door again to like, not maybe not the Eagles, but maybe get drafted again? What are your thoughts? No, oh, no, nah, not for me. Do you me. want to? No, nah, no, nah, not for me. I think probably if you asked me one or two years out of the system, maybe one year out of the system, like I would have been like, yep, I'm desperate to get back. And <clears throat> since moving to East Perth and and having my role there is in, in the leadership group and enjoying that, I've got a house, I've got a mortgage now, I've got a full-time job to then go back and, because I'm a bit realistic as to what the AFL landscape is. And as a 25-year-old getting picked up, it's it would be hard for me to just crack in and be a mainstay in the team. And I'm not at a, I don't, I'm not in a position where I'd be happy to go back and just sort of be a fringe player like I was or even on the out. So I wouldn't just, I wouldn't go and just play waffle anymore because I'm already playing waffle. So what's the real point? And I think for me, it's like, I've done that part of my life. I've had that experience. I've had that journey and I'm happy with what I've done. Like I'm, I'm a one game AFL player and I've played for the West Coast Eagles and, you know, not a lot of other people can say that. So that part of my life, I'm pretty happy with. And it's past, it's not past me. I think I could still go and get a kick, but um, I'm probably at a point in my life where I'm content with what I've done and now I'm just looking to move on to the next thing. You just, and it really sounds like you're enjoying it at East Perth. Yeah, loving it, loving it. It's like the pressure's different. Like, yes, you still want to perform. Yes, you want to play well. You want to win finals and do all that. But I think for me, it's <clears throat> it's like you're playing the highest level of football that I can at the moment and when you're on an AFL list and unless you're playing all the time, it's like you're just always trying and there's so much pressure on you to get to the next level, get to the next level. Whereas me, it's like, I'm, there's nothing better than, well, I can play state footy, but league footy for me is the pinnacle of where I'm at. And I'm trying to win a final, which is, win a grand final, which is, would be really, really cool. But the pressure of selection and the pressure of having to perform every week, it's, it's a little bit less. And I think for me, that's allowed to me to enjoy the company of my mates a little bit more and takes the stress away from football and lets you just go back to enjoying it, which is what I missed a little bit in the AFL landscape, but have really loved going back to East Perth. For sure. So that, that chapter's closed. So the new chapter of, Hamish Brayshaw, mate, because you, you're doing a lot. Yeah. Yeah, do you want to touch on? I've got a bit happening. So yeah. what am I doing? I've got, I'm working at the Eagles currently. I've got, I'm the midfield coach for our AFL women's team, doing community work there. I've got, I'm doing a back chat podcast. I'm doing media stuff externally from that. I've got East Perth happening. I've got footy. I've got, I've got a bit happening on my mm. plate, but it's, I'm just, you just juggle it as best you can and you enjoy it. And in the off season now, I'm sort of taking a bit of time away from me playing and doing other stuff. So it's, it's good fun, but 
I don't like what's next. I really don't know, mate. Like, I'm. Do I'm, you want to go meet her? Because you're in the you're seven, like you've written the articles and yep. the paper, and I think for me, like I said this when I I said this to I was having a chat with Dad about a uh, couple of months ago. Actually, it was I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm just whenever an opportunity comes, I'll just I'm just sort of taking it at the moment. That's what I'm what I'm thinking, and that media stuff's the same. Like I didn't approach them; they just sort of said, "Hey, mate, would you like to do this?" And I said, "Yeah, sure, I'd love it." Like back chat stuff with Scoey, would you like to do this? Yep, I'd love to do it. So I think that's where I'm at at the moment. Like I'm I'm just sort of, I'm not hopping between things, but I'm trying to add and take on as much as I can before I explode, but just enjoying the opportunities that are popping up and presenting. So I think that's what I'm going to be doing over the next couple of years and if something pops up, I'll jump at it. And if I, you know, if I like it, I'll stay. If I don't, I'll move on to the next thing. So that's where I'm at. Could you see yourself becoming a commentator? I've done a little bit of comment. Like I've done some special comments with Triple M a couple of times. Being a, a play-by-play commentator would be pretty tough. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's not saying that I'm closed off to. Yeah. Because yeah, I not. think you'd be really good at that. Because mm. you, can, you can talk really well and you articulate words and, and all that very well. Like if people haven't listened to the Back Chat podcast, very good. But like even on that, like just some of the things you come up with, I think it surprises both Scully and yeah. Dan. Yeah, yeah, like it's good it's fun. A- I mean, I've done a couple, I've done a little bit of it before. It'd be, I'd, I'd like to actually give it a go, but at the same time, if you know, it's tough to do that while I'm playing footy because mm. a lot of the games are on the weekends that I'm playing. So, if opportunities pop up, I'm taking them, and that's probably my life at the moment. Yeah, I do resonate with that actually, just because I mean, I think of myself as like pretty busy at the moment. I'm still at uni and doing a couple of things, but I like referencing that back to like in your twenties, like try a million yeah. different things, see what you like, and then in thirties or whatever like if you find something stick with that yeah exactly like i'm 25 i've got nothing to say that i need to stop and do this now it's like yeah. i've got you know if someone wants me to try something i'll try it so that's that's probably the mindset that i've had for the last two years two and a half years since leaving footy um and it's you know it's worked so far so i'm not going to stop so who you, uh, so you say you got a mortgage yep i want to touch on that who you who you living with so i'm living my house that i've got is rented out at the moment i'm living with angus schumacher angus scott and Corey watts from east perth so there's a share house of four of us and loving it like it's that's so much fun i've done a little bit of share house living before like i live with my older brother will and one of his housemates um but this is the first time i've done it with just mates and it's it's different like you have a crack for who's leaving the dishes in the sink and i was like oh we've got a we've got a rent inspection next week so who's doing what and it's it's fun like the, that lifestyle of a share house is um is really good fun so you've got pretty close obviously with the east Perth boys yeah, yeah yeah love it so i think that's that was the difference like when i was at the west coast waffle in my first year out of footy there was 20 on our list and we became a really tight group but like it wasn't a football team because we were in and out and like the AFL guys would come back and you'd had guys that were out and out midfielders that had been pushed to playing half forward flank or forward pocket because AFL draftees need to play in the midfield and it's like you get that and understand it but now being in a footy club there's 60 guys on the list and it's a full senior squad and like I, I love it so yeah become very close with the boys and then you got golf on top of that yep I got golf on top of that that's probably and you've got what's a hammer swings hammer swings yeah so on top of football I think <laughs> golf's probably the biggest thing in uh, the Bradshaw household in terms of sport like footy Andrew said it on the back chat one day footy pays the bills but golf's the passion so yeah. all four of us play and Angus is the best at the moment and Will's technically the second best but hasn't played in a while and he's handicapped than me and then Andrew so on any given day I think Andrew, Will and I could beat each other Angus is a, probably a step above us all at the moment which is really disappointing but yeah, we love it. And, you know, Scoey wants me to sort of get more involved in the social media stuff. So I've been doing Hammer Swings, which is my Instagram for golf. And <laughs> like, that's all a bit of fun. And that's another thing that I didn't really expect to do, but just did it one day and it got a bit of traction. And so I've sort of kept doing it. And it's, yeah, it lets me continue to play. And it's a very, very good outlet for me. And it's it's, it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. See, I was just going to say it's an outlet, right? Yeah. And it's a good outlet for not only for Andy as well, but for you guys to catch up <clears> and hang out. Yeah. So I think that's like, Whenever I go back to Melbourne, the best way to – like if I haven't seen Dad or if I haven't seen Angus in a while, you go play golf and you're there for five hours and it's just like, it's just quality time with your family. And it's – for me, it's Andrew's, Andrew and Andrew's so busy, Will's so busy, I'm so busy, but you take five hours off on a Sunday and it's like, okay, we'll play golf here and then we'll go back home and have dinner. And there's there's an afternoon or eight hours you got in your day where you're pretty much spending one-on-one time or one you know two-on-one time with your brothers and it's – you don't get that anywhere else and it's – it's easy to go, oh, we're just going to go to the beach, but you're just sitting there and you're yeah. done in an hour and it's like, oh, I'll see you, I'm going home. Or we're going to go have lunch. That takes half an hour and you're done. Whereas golf is an outlet. You're sort of, you're in nature, you're enjoying yourself. And like, that's my mindful practice sort of thing. Like I go and play golf and just enjoy it. Um, 
<clears throat> but that's where yeah you spend a lot of your time with your family and it's it's and your mates and it's, that's my favorite thing yeah it is very competition between your family oh yeah god yeah so it's it's all <laughs> boys you can yeah, yeah. yeah so we have handicap competitions we got handicap bets we've it, you, it all comes on the line when you're playing golf and it's a lot of bragging rights so yeah it's uh while you're trying to enjoy your time there you are very much switched onto a competition so i'm um, i want to tap into this competition part just yep. the latest one with you and your dad yeah so that happened at the start, start of the year <clears throat> dad, I was back home and we were talking about, geez, you've, I had 10 beers or something at home and dad was like, what are you doing with yourself, mate? And I was like, I'm not a professional anymore. Let me do my thing. And then it came back to like, you, you need to get fit. You need to go, you know, attack pre-season. So I was like, oh, whatever. So we had a bet. It was like, you had to get under 90 kilos the day before, like the Monday before round one, which for me at the time I was 102 or something. I was like, that's, this is going to be tough. Anyway, started training, started doing everything. And I like, I lost a little bit of weight, got to 90 eight, 97, 96. And then pre-season started to really ramp up. And I was like, if I keep depleting myself of calories here and it's just going to be too hard to keep training. So I just maintained it. And I was like, oh, I don't want to lose this bet. So I had a brand new tailor-made driver up for grabs. I was like, I don't really want to lose that bet. So I Googled like UFC weight cutting and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, 97 kilos on the Friday, needed to weigh in on the Monday, got to 89.7. And like, it was a full water cut, like built all this weight up, water weight, no salt, you're not you're hardly eating anything, but it's like no sodium, lots of water. And then basically the day before, your body is just ready to sweat everything out and there's nothing holding it back. So saunas and uh, you, you know, doing ex- like it was just so hard. I did saunas, I did like garbage bags, jumpers, went for runs, went for walks in the cardio <laughs> room. Shredded. I was just, I, I just dropped all water weight. It was yeah. unbelievable. Like there was just, it was so hard. Like I had little ice blocks in my mouth to keep myself a little bit. <clears throat> um, satiated that way and it was like it was just so hard and anyway I got the bet and won and then went back to normal but it was um, that was a funny little bet but that, that's the sort of competition that we have a lot, in a lot of things and that was one of them and, and golf is other ones like at the moment Andrew's off like a 10 handicap and there's a bet there's a bottle of wine at the end of the year if he can get under five and I've taken the I've said that he will Angus has said that he won't Will said he won't it's going to be real hard and I don't think he'll do it but we do that sort of stuff all the time, and it's a bit of fun competition in the house. So I do like. I mean, I'm lucky enough to say that I've got like a good group of mates, and I call them brothers. But fuck, I really wish I had like a younger older brother. A eh? oh, it's just so the best thing. Yeah, what do you got? One brother? Uh, two older. Yeah, yep. two older. One little sister. But um, yeah, it's a bit different because my oldest brother's into sport. Steve-O's my middle brother's not really yep. into it. And he never free spirit. Yeah, he just does his thing. So, <laughs> mm. but yeah, I just love that. And you guys are also tight. So how is um, living away from home, like well, yeah, obviously this is home, but living away from you know your mum, your dad, and and Angus. Yeah, that it was interesting because like I got drafted with Andrew, so I moved over here and had him, and had a lot of our extended family here. So you're not missing home as such. You like you miss your mates and you miss spending time with them and like, but I mean I'm lucky that you can just they're a phone call away, so you're not really missing too much. Like I call them every now and I call them every week and Angus and I chat on the phone regularly and a lot of it's sort of, you know, football and golf and then how you're going with the rest of your life. But mum and dad come over every you know, every so often, so you see them enough. But physically seeing them is is not the you know, they're not the be all and end all for me because I've got so much family here. <clears throat> if I was moving away and it was just me, like it would have been a bit harder, but I think I'm lucky in the fact that we've got a lot of family representation in WA and Whenever we get the chance to go back or they come here, we, we see and we catch up. But it's, I think a little bit of that is like, because we do, you know, we catch up so, you know, closely when we're playing golf. Like if I go home for a week, I'll play golf six times with that and Angus. And then I'll spend the whole night sitting at home with mum and we'll be having, so it's like you're very meaningful catch ups when you're home. It's not like you just go home and you're just doing your own thing with mates. You really spend a lot of time with them. So that probably fills your cup up enough, up enough to have four or five months over here without physically seeing them. And then now with the AFLW season. You get to go to Melbourne. Yeah. So we go, I go to Melbourne in two weeks. I'll spend a couple of extra days there with them and, and I'll see them. So that that sort of gets ticks it off enough. It's yeah. not like I'm, I'm missing home that much and I need to be there, but it's um it's good to see them every so often, but the phone call and all the rest of it is close enough. Yeah. So with having um, <coughs> Angus and your mum and dad over there, is there ever the argument of like, Wes is best? A little bit, but like, mum, they're all from here. So mum and dad oh, grew up here. They know that. Angus was born here technically and likes to call himself a WA boy. <laughs> so it's a lot of it is... Like we're trying to persuade them to move back over, and but when Angus signed his contract and stayed in Melbourne, it was like, oh, well, he's going to stay there forever. But they come over enough, and it's they probably know that WA is better, but um, they're just happy in Melbourne. Yeah, I love it. It's um, yeah, you've always been real tight knit with your family, and mm. it's um, yeah, I like I just love the competition side of things. I love how close you all are, and um, nice, no, it's, it's good. Mm. But 
mate, that's probably um, nearly time, I reckon, unless Tom's got a couple more. I would actually just quickly like to touch on, um, you kind of mentioned before in terms of like the leadership aspect yep. and like uh, I'd be curious to know if like any of your leadership qualities came from, I know you get like your family, your brothers um, and so how you've been able to represent that at East Perth now. Yeah, I think a lot of like, a lot of my leadership did come from family stuff. So my brother is a captain in the army, so he's, he's had a lot of leadership growing up and Angus was always captain of uh, footy and all the rest of it but dad and mum were very strong in terms of the way we were up we were brought up and respect and honesty and all this sort of stuff and I think that just naturally leads itself into leadership and being in that junior part of your football a lot of the time it is your best plays your captain and so uh, that was often me in junior footy and Andrew and Angus and got to learn a little bit of that because we just thrust into it but I think that the, uh, the values that mum and dad instilled in us growing up were naturally leadership based and um I was the captain of the 18s in the Dragons and now at East Perth and leadership is something that is just it got thrust on you to start with, but then you sort of naturally just grow to it and adapt to it and, and your self comes out in there. And I think for me, the upbringing that we had was naturally lending itself to leadership and and being able to help and sort of guide younger younger people. And I think for me now, that's probably where I'm at. Like I've got a couple of guys older than me at East Perth and <clears throat> I sort of leave, you leave them alone. But for me, a lot of it is helping the young Resis guys or helping guys who have just played for, you know, 10 league games of footy. How can you try and help them with experience and make them better players? And yeah, that was probably, that's probably it. The, the lessons you learn from mum and dad just naturally lend itself to it. Yeah. Well, look, it's the same. At, um, what, what, what would you be your best, you reckon, qualities as a leader? <sighs> I think I'm like, I have learned a lot of experience through my time in football and in terms of my football leadership, especially like I've had a very short career, but I've had a lot of stuff happen in that time and can relate to a lot of things. Like even though I've been playing league footy at East Perth now, <clears throat> for a guy who's in and out of the league side playing league and resis, like I can relate to that from an AFL standpoint and can relate to that from a selection point of view. For guys who haven't quite made it yet, I can still relate to that from a selection point of view. So not one well, this not necessarily been through the same thing. I can be quite empathetic for what is happening with them. And I think I'm quite at the same time understanding, but also logical and realistic and can sort of explain things in a way that's a bit calming and like, okay, I actually understand that and here's what I need to do to, to take that next step. So while I'm not I'm not just sitting there and being a shoulder to listen and, you know, lending an ear, it's like I can lend an ear, but then at the same time try and help direct you through my experiences as to what has happened. So I think that's probably the biggest, best quality for me in my football leadership is I've had a short career, but I've had a lot of experience in that and ups and downs and lefts and rights. And I can sort of sort of relate to a lot of things and help um, through my personal experience to you know help them get through whatever they're going through. Yeah. No, I love that. And that, that showed when you were the captain of West Coast, just being, you know, you, you're really good at, I found, connecting. Mm. Like, you can connect with most people very well. Yeah. I can talk underwater, so it's easy. But <laughs> I think that, yeah. I think because I've had all these experiences and have been able to relate so easily to a lot of things, it's like I can quite easily sit down and have a coffee with anyone and be like, okay, what's you know, what's your issue in football or what's what are you doing? And I can share a similar story and it's you pretty quickly bond over that sort of stuff. So, and at West Coast with such a small group, there was only twenty of them, so it became really easy. But I, I agree. I think that's probably the thing for me that helps with my leadership the most is being able to relate and then help in whichever way I can. Love that. Same. <coughs> That's good because, yeah, I mean, in any sort of way, like this is switched on, is more directed towards the youth and if any way that we can share like leadership tips towards them, um, the better. So, yeah, yeah, thanks for that. No worries. Yeah. Well, mate, we always wrap it up with one question. What do you got? Who's someone that you are very thankful for, grateful for in the last week? Ah, uh, in the last week. I, I would have to say my brother Angus. So, I think – Speaking with him throughout the year has been a big one for me. Like I've had a lot that's been happening on and off the field for me. And I think he's a bit, I speak to him more than my other brothers because he's removed from my life a little bit more. Will and Andrew live here, so I see them and we hang out. Whereas I can get a bit of an unbiased opinion on <clears throat> all sorts of things from him. And like this last week, I've got some stuff going on with with footy and work in my house and all the rest of it. And so I've been bouncing ideas off him and he's... um he gives you advice that's just unsolicited and unbiased and it's like oh, he, I haven't lived with him in the same state for six years so he doesn't know anything that, and it's just like well this is what I think so I'm very grateful for the advice and, and the conversations that I can have with him just chatting for an hour or so every day on the phone it's like it's you get really good advice and brotherly support without having any real influence of just this is what I think and here's you ask the question and so you get the answer so that's Angus my brother at home yeah, love that what about you mate 
Um, it's a hard one actually. Um, just trying to reflect back now. I think even just like on the week that's gone, on Tuesday night, um, it was my mate's birthday. Lucky, lucky Welsh. Um, pretty grateful for him. Just hadn't caught up with him in a minute. So, just he's my long term mate. Honestly, known for like fifteen years. So every time we catch, I was just like, just like brothers kind of thing. So grateful for him. Grateful to make the, the way that he makes you laugh and have a good time. Yeah, I love that. Mine um, would be Paul, which you wouldn't have a clue who he is. But Paul is um, he's the HSC manager of CPC, who I went on the trip with. Yep. Um, just gone last yeah three days, and he's a lot older than me. But mate, we connected. We spent a few nice cozy dinners together at the sunset. But um, no, nah, just connecting with him and him, you know, backing me in for this engineering stuff and um, talking with them and presenting. But just to get to know him and like we spent you know the plane together two and a half. Um, drive from Port Eden to Grath together, dinners together. Um, yeah, it was it was nice to actually connect with someone that's a that you wouldn't normally connect with. So nice. that was nice. So that'd be mine. Nice, beautiful. Yeah. Well, yeah, mate, Hammer. Thank you Brilliant. so much uh, for coming in today. For me on. Um, be sure to go check out Back Chat. Um, socials are Sugar Bray, Sugar Bray, and Hammer yep. Swings. Hammer yep. Swings. <coughs> there you go, awesome, mate. Yeah, go check them out. Um, yeah, thanks once again. Hopefully, the listeners had a bit of a chuckle, got some out of it. We definitely did. And, um, thanks for having me on, lads. Yeah. Catch you in the next one, eh? Thanks, Absolutely. guys. Brilliant. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you liked it, please like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, leave a review, all that jazz. We love your support, and we'd love for you to continue supporting us. If you want more info and want to know what we've got coming up, please head to our Instagram, chuck us a follow. And even check out our website for more episodes, resources, recommendations, and lots, lots, lots more. Links are attached in the description below. Cheers.